0: Hello and welcome to The Stooshy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that keeps you better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I am joined by my political reporter colleagues from the Press and Journal, The Courier and The Sunday Post for a proper catch-up on the highs and lows of the past few days. Not only that though, we'll get a good old recap this summer too. It's been ages since we gathered in one place. The last time, in fact, was July, where we had a quiz and broke for recess. But just like MSPs, we don't actually go on holiday. We merely work in our constituencies, like Benidorm or somewhere. Regular listeners will also, of course, have taken part in that quiz. And who can forget Justin Bowie describing how dogs can be unionist or nationalist. He's off this week, but we have a new recruit to the stushy and the DC Thompson Politics team. Alistair Clark joins us today for the first time, hello Alistair, by way of introduction to him, I'd merely point out that Alistair is a proud man of the Kingdom of Fife and has been working for The Courier for a couple of years. Alistair, are you thrilled to be part of this award-winning podcast team?
1: Yeah, I've heard great things about it and I'm excited to be part of it, hopefully I can live up to Justin's tales of dogs and nationalism.
0: Well, the the bar has been set quite low, Um, so good luck. We also have Adele Merson, hello, and Derek Healy along too, hello. What has been happening? Given it's been so long since we last did this, I thought we should approach it like going back to school, Um, but not like a fun one where you get to talk about what holidays you've been on, more about the political highs and lows that have helped make or break your summer. After a bit of that, we'll have a crack at assessing Hamza Yousaf's first programme for government, do some crystal ball gazing for the weeks ahead. And I think we should approach this probably from a north to south route. So Adele, you're up first. How's, uh, How's summer been?
2: Uh, Yeah, it was quite rainy. It seemed quite long, but yeah, lots has been happening. It's an Aberdeen, a very Aberdeen answer. (laughs) Lots has been happening in the political arena. We've uh, we've had the Fergus Ewan row rumbling on, which is one that obviously the Press and Journal has been following closely, as he is one of the MSPs uh, in the North. The kind of latest with that is well, you might remember just before. Parliament went off on recess, he, in June, he voted against Green Minister Lorna Slater Mm. in a confidence vote over her handling of the kind of botched deposit return scheme. It was thought then at the time, you know, he might end up being disciplined, but um, sadly his mother, SNP trailblazer Winnie Ewan, passed away and so therefore the party basically thought that it was a good idea to delay that Mm. whole punishment process. So That's obviously been kind of hanging over the summer. Now we've got Parliament back, and as you would expect, reports are sort of swirling again that the party is moving to suspend him. Uh, Nothing's happened as yet. There was a meeting with the SNP parliamentary group yesterday, but as we discovered, he has contracted COVID, as are increasing numbers of people at the moment. Mm. So he won't be in Parliament this week, but it's not for any bigger reason other than the fact that he is um yeah staying at home and, and and isolating
0: the fact that he's got covid hasn't exactly kept him quiet though has it
2: no we spoke with him this week and he was very outspoken about the uh short-term let's licensing scheme which is basically the kind of latest policy to prove quite controversial for the scottish government It. Mm-hmm the The idea behind it is that we will ensure sort of short term let properties are regulated in the same way as other types of accommodation, you know, like hotels and caravans. Because we've seen in some cities, I mean, anyone that's been to to Edinburgh will see they have got a huge amount of Airbnb properties, and to an extent, some parts of P and J Patch, like the Highlands and Sky, have also just got a huge number of these, I guess, pretty unregulated in some ways, properties and the idea behind the scheme is that you're bringing them all up to the same standard. Mm. However, it's proven very controversial as we've seen in, in recent weeks with certain statements from some people in that industry who are very dead against it. Yeah. And we also saw from Fergus Ewan that he thinks many of his constituents in the Highlands will be disadvantaged by this scheme. And as he sees it really, he's standing he's standing up for them and he's he says that he will be voting on his conscience with a there's a Tory-led debate coming up on the scheme and he says he'll be sort of voting for his constituents and his conscience on that so it might add further pressure to Hamza Youssef over his Fergus Ewing problem what is he going to do with him.
0: Well well, I don't know what everyone else thinks about this because um, I mean Fergus Ewing has been he's been about for some time he was you know in the in the original SNP government with Alex Salmond then Nicola Sturgeon and you know back benches now but it's just like the classic thing where people used to say I never left Labour, Labour left me and now a lot of people are saying that with the SNP. Is Fergus Ewing in touch with what people are thinking or is he now just floating off into the land of sort of belligerent crankism in the back benches. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Is Fergus onto something here? Is he is he a necessary counterbalance to what the SNP leadership are doing?
3: Do you know, one, one thing I would say on it is I think it's maybe quite healthy for democracy if you have backbenchers of the party of government being able to speak out. Um, it's quite interesting, the shift in the way that's dealt with. Alex Salmon just at the weekend there was talking about how he, I think, only suspended one MSP in his time, as leader mm. and actually there's been a lot more of that kind of going on recently, um obviously with Angus Brendan McNeil as well. So it's, it's quite interesting to see. It doesn't feel like the kind of thing that would have happened under Nicola Sturgeon's watch, um, in terms of having a backbench MSP speaking out in this kind of way. So it does feel like this is Hamza Yousaf trying to seize back control. Um so it's very interesting how it's all been handled. Um, I, mean, I, c- I can't really speak as much as Adele can in terms of um, local constituents and stuff, but I've seen a lot of people um, celebrating the fact that a kind of MSP again of the party of government as well, and to stand up and say, "No, this is what I believe in. This is what I'm going to do."
2: Yeah, he'll be be a very divisive figure in terms of what you said there. There'll be perhaps the in some ways, the younger element of the party probably sees him as not as progressive as they want the party to be. And they don't agree with him and what he's doing and speaking out against the government. But I mean, you can't say for sure. But I, my perception would be that there will be many of his constituents in the Highlands who have a respect for him that they feel that he is standing up for them. I mean, there's been a plethora of big issues that have affected particularly his kind of patch so you've got things like highly protected marine areas and you had deposit return scheme and you've had now the short-term lets and A9 as well he's been very outspoken on on the A9 and, and the need to duel that and I think that they will feel he's put them put them first rather than his kind of standing in the party and they, they may well respect that when it comes to voting in future.
0: Yeah, do you think there's been like a problem here? I mean, I'll, you might want to pick this up to be honest. It's like under Nicola Sturgeon, is that maybe the problem? It was just everything was, everyone told the line and was suppressed. This is just a necessary kind of rebound. She's she's left, but this has always been a problem. It's just no one's ever really vocalised it.
1: Definitely. So I think Alex Simon and Nicola Sturgeon ran a very different party to what Goumza Yousaf has inherited. Um, but I think I think it's also possible to overstate um, the the sort of level of dissension within the SNP just now. Um, definitely over the summer, speaking to SNP MSPs, that that was their view. Um, that you know, Fergus Ewan isn't someone who has shied away from disagreeing with the SNP before. Um, if we look back at key votes like um, equal marriage, Fergus Ewan rebelled against the SNP whip on that. Right. Yeah. This isn't someone who has been an SNP loyalist um, his whole career. No. I don't think there's surprise within the party that he, on this issue, um, has chosen to be quite vocally against the government. And like Derek said, that's that's probably to be welcomed.
0: Yeah, he's, he's always been on the more socially conservative end of the spectrum. And of course, the one thing, we'll get to this as well, but the one thing missing from the SNP's focus at the moment is the ultimate goal, a referendum. We're talking right now a, a month or thereabouts out from what we were supposed to be having India F two in October, according to Nicholas Sturgeon's original plan. But that's there's no goal.
1: Yeah, and I think that kinda um, you know, we, we heard a lot about this sort of post twenty fourteen, that kind of beast for India attitude um of the SNP sort of coming together um in the face of disagreements on on social issues, on environmental issues, um for that goal of independence. Yeah. While independence seems further and further down the road, and um, that that uh, driving aim um, isn't there to keep the party together um, on broad church issues like like this.
0: Yeah. Well, as we I said, we we're going to go north to south here, and Alistair, you are, I think geographically next in line after Adele. Other than this, what's what else has been swirling around really that um, Hamza Youssef needs to? keep his eyes open for I mean what what's been occupying your mind in the past few weeks
1: obviously the LGL inquiry was the the call for that over the summer the government were resolute that uh, a public inquiry was the wrong the wrong idea it was the wrong process to follow and um, we spoke to him um, so I think between us five or six times and mm-hmm. each time he was was really quite clear that that wasn't the process they were going to follow
0: just just on LGM, I think um just by way of a quick recap obviously we're talking about here about sam LGML who's who a disgraced doctor a surgeon in nhs tayside operated on dozens and dozens of people who now say that they've been left harmed by his actions um we've been years following this and listening to people's stories and trying to get them um taken seriously and of course yeah there's a sp- anyone interested in this further, there's a special episode that we put out last week dedicated to this very subject. It's well worth a listen um, for anyone who wants to get the full story there. But that's basically where we are, and it has been quite a lot of work, hasn't it, Alistair?
1: Yeah, and I think in six to 12 months' time, we'll probably view Jim verley's intervention on this um, as quite significant. and mm. um, He's the, the SNP MSP in Perthshire. He wrote to the Health Secretary and said that, you know, really it was a public inquiry that was needed. Um, he isn't an MSP who who speaks out against the party or the government regularly, and I think I think that was was probably quite key, um, to then realising that any anything short of a public inquiry just mm-hmm. wasn't going to have the confidence of the those who were affected, or MSPs within their own party.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, don't want to second guess too many things, but I know that you are currently working on um more on the the whole LGML story is there anything more you can sort of say about that at the moment?
1: Yeah so we've spoken to one of the patients who was who was actually harmed by LJML in in 2010, Leanne Sutherland. She was referred to nine whales with migraines when she was 21. Mm -hmm. Her GP at the time had suggested acupuncture but um, LJML who she describes as having a a planet-sized eagle (laughs) <laughs> um, suggested that she needed emergency brain surgery, which he promised would, would cure the problem she had. In reality, she ended up needing seven surgeries to correct the catalogue errors that he appears to have made. Um, it's affected her, her whole life. shocking. She's obviously, you know, she describes that, you know, hearing the, the public inquiry will take place is, is liberating. It's recognition that she wasn't just making this up, that it wasn't somehow her body which had failed um, to... Uh, you know, allow Elginell to save that it. it was mm-hmm. it was his errors. Um, but sadly, um, she was she was also told by him that her life expectancy um, is around the late forties, and she is is happy. There's going to be a public inquiry, but obviously they're also notoriously slow moving beasts, and she worries that she might not even survive to hear what the public inquiry concludes.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's a reminder to government that they can't just sit back now that they've got some plaudits for you know, a u-turn and having an inquiry on well, this is definitely it and of course you can um, check back online with the courier in particular to, to read more on that in the days ahead if we stick with a kind of health theme here Derek I know that you have been on this podcast plenty of times in the past talking about um, the other health emergency that's rampaged across Scotland for so long drug addiction substance misuse we often talk about the figures, um, Glasgow has a terrible record, Dundee's got a terrible record. There's pockets of communities across Scotland with bad records. But you looked previously at a really fascinating episode we did where we looked at what other countries are doing, in particular Baltimore in the States, um, and what they're doing to try and tackle the drugs menace in their country. Bring us up to date with any kind of updates here, because I know you follow this one closely.
3: Yeah, so what's been talked about for a long time is whether having um, safer consumption rooms is something that could help in reducing drug deaths in Scotland. Um, These are basically facilities where there are clean needles in hand, there are also health professionals there so that if someone is taking drugs and they have an overdose, there is someone standing by with naloxone or just life-saving interventions, basically. It's not the kind of thing that's gonna save every single person Um, that is dying of drug deaths, but it's the kind of thing that health campaigners and drug charities say will help. Um, You mentioned Baltimore. That is something um, that was pushed through there despite it being illegal, basically, to do it. um, They decided to push on and basically challenge the US government to do anything about it. And that was being talked about here as a kind of solution to what could happen. So one of the really big pieces of news in Scotland over the last few days or since Parliament's come back has been that they there's going to be um drug consumption and trials going ahead in Scotland mm-hmm. and a huge part of that getting over the line was the law advocate saying that in her view there is no public interest in prosecuting um users in these facilities and that is pretty huge news I think given the scale of the drug deaths in Scotland we saw last year there was a, a there was a reduction but in the first six months of this year, new figures just came out this week, which show, I think it's a 7% rise mm-hmm. across Scotland. So it's obviously very, very timely for this to come out as well. As I say, I mean, I, I I don't know this is necessarily going to be the answer to everything. And, you know, I'm not obviously like a public health expert or anything, so I can't talk about the effect it's going to have. But I do know, as a journalist, that every single person I speak to who is involved in dealing with drug deaths says, this is part of the answer. This is an important step forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it feels like really big news.
0: There's of course, um, noises in the background though, about if you don't have the safety net there for everything that, that and the health emergency part, the treatment, the beds, the, the addiction services, the support, then opening the door to drug consumption rooms just means even more problems. Do you think that there's, um, signs politically that the SNP understand that Are they not, they're they're going to put the money into the rehabilitation part as well?
3: well I think I think that's one of the big problems because at the same time this is going on there is a huge shortage of rehabilitation beds available yeah. um, and you can sort of track a reduction of spaces being available to drug deaths going up so it seems like a really key part of the puzzle. So. Again, this this is not going to solve it all in one go. And there is other really worrying stuff going on. Alistair wrote a really interesting story about this. So he might be better to kind of talk about some of the details. But there was a reduction in drug deaths in Dundee last year. But there are reports of increases in crack cocaine use. Mm-hmm. So the concern is that there is a a switch in the kind of drugs being used and you might see that later on down the line that might have been the reason why there was a reduction in the first place there and um, street benzos were a, were a huge part of drug deaths and drug use and stuff in dundee so there, there appears to be a change there mm-hmm. the worry is that um i'm going to take dundee as a, as a specific example because it's obviously had that really bad historic problems with drug deaths systems have been really slow to change and that has been a major, major problem in the past. So there has to be all sorts of things going on, along, going on alongside this. So you have to have rehabilitation places, you have to have services that can be quick and adapt to changes in what people are taking. So as an entire holistic approach, so this is not just the only solution, but as I say, it feels like if you listen to what campaigners are saying and drug charities are saying, it does feel like a big step. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think what Derek said there's key about Dundee, um, the, the the change in trend in, in the use of drugs. Um so recently drug workers have been saying there's been a, a massive rise in the number of people using cocaine and crack cocaine. Um and, and the way that, that affects the body is is quite different from heroin. Um so it doesn't um, depress somebody's breathing, the way somebody overdoses on heroin is quite different to crack cocaine. Um, and, and the impact it has on someone is very different and it requires a, a different solution, a different approach from addiction services. And Michael Mara, MSP, who, who is in Dundee, makes the point that addiction services have been quite quite slow at responding to these change in drug habits. Um, it's taken us decades to respond to the, the opiate crisis. Mm-hmm. How long will it take us to respond to change in drug trends in terms of things moving towards crack cocaine? Um I think yeah. it, it, people are quite concerned about how we do that.
0: I mean, Dundee's a, a good example because it's one that it, it was the worst in the country, wasn't it? And then Scotland was the worst in Europe. So we, you know, as a country, it's obviously something that has to be dealt with. But the, the figures are spread all over the place. I know that, for example, we cover this as well through the P&J in Aberdeen, Aberdeenshire and Moray. 18 drug linked deaths um, in the first part of the year. There's a problem in the Highlands in the islands as well where the numbers are very small but it's prevalent and, and as soon as it takes root it's hard to then get the the care that we were talking about derek was mentioning earlier as well in in more remote areas where they're not close to the urban centers there's a lot obviously to come on that one the drugs minister i, I actually saw the drugs minister not that long ago a few weeks ago Eleanor uh, Whitam, with, with international experts who were in in edinburgh kind of paving the way for i think this they were talking again about trying to change the law um, and get westminster involved in retrospect it looks like that was the last kind of throw the dice that last kind of like uh, come on to westminster to say take the lead but it's very interesting as well that having now heard from the lord advocate the top prosecutor in scotland that we're going to take a different approach in scotland it, it also proves the case that we could have done this a long time ago in scotland and perhaps the whole political Stooshy, for want of a better word, could have been avoided
3: all these years. I, I find that a fascinating aspect of this because this is exactly what we're saying. These people like, uh, in Baltimore that was the same argument getting made. Just go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and do it and see what you know. kind of see what happens. Um, there has been no law change here. Nothing, nothing has actually changed hmm. apart from the approach of the law advocate. That's it. So you're absolutely right. This could have happened before. This could have happened years ago. And there's been all this kind of squabbling over who isn't... Well, we, we know where the, the legal responsibility lies. It's at Westminster. Um, but there's been this kind of row between the two sides of, of trying to convince them to change and, and actually they could have went ahead the whole time. So yeah. I think for some people that would be incredibly frustrating because it feels like if the will was there to do this, which politically it seemed like, you know, from what people were saying publicly, the will was there to do it, but it just never happened. Yeah. And how many lives have been lost waiting in that time? We don't know. Um, and yeah, I think it'll be a real frustration for a lot of people.
1: I think the words of the Lord Advocate's statement are uh, particularly key there as well. She said that they wouldn't prosecute offences as simple possession. Um, I don't know the numbers, but I would imagine that the number of people who just now are prosecuted for simply simple possession alone is, is quite low. And the police aren't just going around arresting and then charging people for carrying drugs for personal use. We know that there isn't officer numbers to do that. Mm. And the the practical impact, like Derek said, of of just going ahead and trying this two or three years ago probably wouldn't have made too much difference compared to what it will
3: now. I mean, I've spoken to police officers in the past who have talked about arresting people and kind of almost like celebrating arresting people, putting people away who are criminals and stuff. And then they realise they're going back to the same house and arresting the same person six times in a year and what a waste of time that is and that nothing's moving forward and that person's not getting help and and, and all that kind of thing. So um, the, the, pro- the prosecution element is really interesting in general. And obviously that's something that's been discussed more widely than just drug consumption rooms. So it'll be interesting to see how this situation expands out and whether that goes further than just these uh, facilities as well and how it progresses. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, Moving on a little bit and looking forward slightly to something different, I mentioned that uh, October was supposed to have a potential independence referendum, which is clearly not going to happen now, but there will be an SNP conference in Aberdeen. One person, Adele, who we've not seen in Aberdeen yet, much promised, Sir Keir Starmer. Have you been counting down the calendar? Because he said he was going to come up and speak to us about oil and gas and energy policy in Aberdeen this this summer
2: we have we have not seen him up here yet um he, as you say he he launched labor's kind of energy vision down in leith of all places uh i think i lose track of time i think it was june that he did that and we were promised that there would be a visit to sort of i guess allay the concerns of industry and trade unions and oil and gas workers up here sometime this summer now Quite often as journalists, we get pulled into trying to work out <laughs> what do we count as different seasons because you're quite often, you you pretty much never get given a date. You get told something will be done by winter or summer, or so. Yes, we're now into quite well into September, so I think we're we're definitely approaching. Depending what definition you go by, we're approaching the end of summer for sure. Twenty third
0: of September, that's that's your day
2: yeah we're not far away at all then from that and as yet there doesn't appear to be anything in the diary you think you would know you know the leader of the mm. opposition would probably have his diary planned quite well in advance I would imagine so I would speculate perhaps it is waiting for the, the Brother Glenn and Hamilton West by-election result which is on October 5th Yeah. As that's I think they're probably a... channeling all their efforts in there so that would definitely be autumn but we will keep a watching <laughs> eye on that yeah. one
0: and we will, of course, have a big old chat about that by-election when it comes. That's going to be a real scene setter because then, of course, the conferences come along, don't they? Hamza Yusuf was supposed to first activist, Hamza Yusuf. It was talking about this being the summer of independence and it was a lot of campaigning. There was lots of uh, this and that, but the dial hasn't shifted. Bit of a kind of group hug. There was a march the other day in Edinburgh. Again, did it make any difference? Does it just focus attention? They just treading water now? Yeah,
2: it doesn't it doesn't feel the dial has really moved. I mean, obviously it depends who you would ask, but it doesn't seem that way massively. Um I think SP conference it will obviously be Hamza Yousuf's first one as leader. It's it's crazy how much has changed, you know. We were at the last one, which was uh, last October, and you know, Nicola Sturgeon was still first minister and she was making some great announcements about Aberdeen and wanting to make it like the net zero. Capital of the world, so I think Kamal Yusuf will have a lot to. It'll be interesting just to be there, I guess, and see what the atmosphere is like amongst activists and and politicians after such a turbulent time for the party. And then, as you've mentioned, there it's coming off the back of the outcome of the by election as well, so they could mm. feel either buoyed or pretty downbeat depending on how that goes. So, I think he will have to use the conference in a big way to to set out what his independence vision is, because right now it maybe feels it's getting a bit lost in, in all the other um, sort of yeah. things that are affecting him at the moment.
1: The other Glenby by-election kind of shows how difficult this independent strategy of using the next general election as a sort of de facto referendum is going to be. Yeah. Um, it obviously isn't something we followed too closely for the Courier, but it seems that the, the candidate there is, is spoke about everything except independence. She's spoken a lot about uh, the, the universal credit, the two-child limit on claiming benefits for that. Um, and it, it just shows that elections are always going to be about much more than a sort of single line in a manifesto about independence. Mm. And whatever the result is there, I think it's going to show just how difficult using the next election as a de facto referendum is going to be.
3: I think that's a really interesting point, because if you look at, I mean, you're talking there about the march and different things that have been going on. I don't know how much the wider public are paying attention right now. Like, how much interest was there in that? It kind of felt a bit of a waste of time in terms of, I mean, in terms of trying to convince the wider public to change their mind. You're talking about moving the dial. I don't think there's been anything recently that's that's really moved the dial or been successful in that. So, actually, probably in terms of the by election, that's probably a very smart strategy because it, it doesn't seem like independence is going to be necessarily the issue that wins that election and that must be a bit of a scary thought moving into having that yeah. kind of strategy for the next general election which is not that far away Yeah, they're going to have to switch focus fast
2: I think something else that was interesting that came to mind there in relation to that is Stephen Flynn, the SNP leader at Westminster he reshuffled his front bench and I, I think the focus of that was you know to, fo- to focus in on cost of living over independence and hmm. there was quite a bit made of that of his sort hmm. of him wanting to position their campaign a little bit differently, perhaps, to Hamza Yusuf and almost moving away a little bit from independence. So, yeah, it's interesting. There's these sort of different visions yeah. of how to, how to get there.
0: And if you take a slightly different view, maybe, that the whole summer of independence and all the marches and things like that, it's got nothing to do with trying to convince anybody else. But everything to do with just trying to keep that base number as high as possible, because... For as many times as you hear someone say, "Well, yeah, like me, just there, the dial's not shifting, or whatever," ultimately, if you went into another referendum, whenever it happens, with you know nearly half of the country prepared to vote yes, you'd you'd take it, wouldn't you? I mean, that's an amazing start to a proper campaign. You don't want to be slipping back much further, but really, forty-five percent there or thereabouts, still, it's not bad.
3: I think that's a very fair point, but I'd be interested to know how much of an effect and the kind of marches and stuff I've had on that. Like, are they just people who are already convinced that this is, this is the right way forward? Um, I just I haven't seen much off the back of it. I mean, and again, going into an election where you're putting this forward as a strategy, it does feel like you'd hope that that carries a little bit more momentum. But then maybe, you know, if there's a good by-election result, you have a good conference, maybe that's the thing that will carry the momentum and it'll move them forward. Yeah, so it's interesting there's not going to be a good election result.
1: The the sort of yes membership, the yes activist space has been quite critical of the SNP for not more enthusiastically supporting marches and things like that. So it does definitely feel like the party know that that isn't the the way that they'll win in um, the next referendum or a whatever uh, they, they used to do to, mm. to campaign for independence. Um, and I think you know almost it was it was newsworthy because Humza Yousaf was attending this march. Mm-hmm. But you know, because they've they've not attended so many of the other ones that have taken place.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, there's obviously there's you know there's a lot of crystal ball gazing to be done, and there's a lot of uh, important moments coming up in the political calendar. We will of course be at all of them, and we'll we'll do a, spe- a special from the SNP conference as well. But that's it for this week, Stu. Thanks to Del Merson, Derek Huey, Alistair Clark, producer Marvin McIntyre, and of course to you for listening. We'll be back next week, but until then, pick up a paper or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, Sunday Post and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed.